Hello, welcome back. Thank you so much for being here with us again. This is Neighbors in Need. I am Sandy Waters and Jennifer Farringer is back in with us from National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence, NCADD. Welcome back. Thanks so much, Sandy. Always a pleasure to be here. Every month we touch base. Yes. um, Because this, everything that you do from top to bottom is so crucial, so Mm -hmm. important. And it's all about education. Yes. So today's focus is what? Opioids. So talk about the opioid crisis, where we're at, and most importantly, the resources that have come online to get help. And that is changing. And it's almost... I don't want to say exciting. I don't know if that's the it right is word, exciting but when you is. have more resources available. Yeah. Yeah. What is the you see and hear of all the statistics? What is the most alarming statistics that you think really grounds people when they hear it about the opioid epidemic? I think the biggest one that I always start with is to put it into perspective. When you think about the United States having about five percent of the world's population and yet consuming about 80% of the Oxycontin in the world. That's kind of a showstopper right there. Kind of puts in perspective how we got where we are, which is the over-prescribing practices of pain medication, which has kind of led us down the road to potentially moving to heroin. And now, of course, with the introduction of fentanyl, it's up the ante even more to likelihood of overdose and fatal overdose. Before we go into... Really, why is, um, you know, why is it so addictive? Why is heroin becoming, quote unquote, more popular and Mm -hmm. how there is the resources available now and new resources? Let's first go back. When you have pain, Mm -hmm. there are other alternatives, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And even physicians will recognize that, too. You know, we could do a much better job with treating pain, especially chronic pain. And opioids, CDC, the Center for Disease Control, has come out with a directive a couple years ago now saying, you know, opioids should not be the first line of defense, especially for chronic pain. Acute, short-term, conservative prescribing perhaps, but chronic pain, not a great idea because the risk, the possible risks, not always, but very often could uh, outweigh the benefits. And we forget about the alternatives that are so much safer, like chiropractic care, like acupuncture, massage therapy. And then there's a lot of research now. Actually, it's just come out in JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association, to show that in the ED setting or inpatient setting, they did a study to see what's the difference between giving a patient an opioid or an ibuprofen or an extra-strength Tylenol, and they found the difference almost negligible. Wow. So, and that's in that setting. So could we not, in many cases, prescribe just that or recommend just that, an over-the-counter ibuprofen in lieu of an opioid? Does that mean we have no use for opioids? No. But in terms of chronic care, there might be better alternatives, safer alternatives. Why aren't doctors? Is it because it's easier just to say, hey, here's a a medication that you can take? Why isn't it the go-to to say, first, let's do chiropractic yeah. care. First, let's yeah. do a massage yeah. or acupuncture. Yeah, it's a, it's, it was a massive misinformation campaign foisted on the medical community by the pharmaceutical company for profit. And that's why you see counties, states, um, different agencies going after pharmaceutical companies with large suits now to set up opioid funds um, that, that are intended to kind of repair the damage they 
caused, essentially. So they were giving messages to doctors. First of all, when OxyContin came out, that don't worry about it, you know, but kind of, kind of um, minimizing the risk of addiction mm. and saying that you know what, doc, that your first your first priority is reduction of pain, not in not in terms of thinking of alternative activities or alternative options or. So it was really driven by the pharmaceutical companies. CDC came online in the last couple of years that they're trying to rework the thinking. And I think many docs, and certainly in our area, not all, but many have are, are shifting to that way of thinking that, you know, we need to prescribe more conservatively. If we yeah. prescribe opioids, it should be the least amount for the least amount of time. Is it hard for doctors to make that call? Do you feel like, and I don't know, because mm-hmm. I, I don't know the politics, quote unquote, yeah. of that world. Is it the practice who kind of mandates to the individual doctors? Hey, listen, just we have this relationship with this pharmaceutical mm-hmm. rep. And is it it's is more it school it's more insidious than that. So if, if you go to your physician or if you go to an ED or you're in the hospital, what's the first question they ask you? Rate your pain mm. one to ten. The pharmaceutical companies again push this artificial pain scale mm. on docs and practices. So docs were penalized, and hospitals could be penalized for not reducing the pain level. And when you think about it, pain is not a vital sign. There's nothing vital about pain. And when you have a conversation about somebody, instead of saying arbitrarily, "Give me a number from one to ten." How about having a conversation? How does pain impact you? Is pain preventing you from doing what you enjoy? Is pain preventing you from playing with your kids, going to work? You know, get sort of a conversation going. And that can be initiated by either physician or patient. And I think it needs to be a a two-way conversation that both have. So now you know, listening, that if there is chronic pain, look towards these other alternatives. Chiropractic care, there have been chiropractors on the air with us mm-hmm. saying your body was designed to help itself. Yes. yes, The importance of it, and it's astounding how we don't even think of that as our first go-to. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to be your own advocate Absolutely. when it comes to this. Absolutely. Um, okay, so, I mean, we could talk the whole 15 minutes just on this. Just on that. <laughs> Absolutely, we could. But let's talk more about the actual... <laughs> Um, the opioid. So we know, I think we're, we're pretty cognizant of the fact that it is addicting. Mm-hmm. Um, but why is heroin so popular? Why do we hear that a lot? Yeah. So a couple things. One, the, I think it's really driven. The, the amount of heroin being used is really driven by the opioid epidemic. So what has happened, not everyone that's, that's on opioids become addicted and shift to heroin but that has happened to too many people that we've mm. had to take notice. So what typically happens, someone's overprescribed an opioid, then they can't, for a variety of reasons, get another script. They go to the street to buy that opioid for, like, say, say Oxycontin, 80 bucks a pop. Well, that doesn't last very long. You're not going to be able to afford that. So you shift to the cheap, cheaper, more, more potent, very potent now, and very available heroin, which is much, much cheaper on the street. And it's within the same family. Both are opioids. And it, you know, when you talk to people who are in recovery, you know, they'll say, I never in my wildest dreams imagined I'd be using heroin. But really, this was the 
this is how it, it happened. You yeah. know, I was maybe a, a young person prescribed for sports injury or a dental surgery, wisdom teeth removal. I mean, there's so many stories of people ending up over there using heroin, having never really intended. I mean, no one intends to become yeah, addicted yeah. anyway, but this is such a straight line trajectory to get there. And of course, what's happening now is more and more and more fentanyl is part of the product. The recent medical examiner's report that was released in July of this year, just last month, for all of 2018, found that 94% of the deaths were attributed to fentanyl. That's hugely increased since the report from the year before. So we know that it's some of the fentanyl, some of the so-called heroin on the street is actually largely or pure fentanyl. You know, so that could be it's like Russian roulette. Your your use first use could be your last. And fentanyl, is that the drug that even by touching it? There's a little bit of over. So it's one to be cautious with, but I think there's been a lot of overblown kinds of things about that. But it is hugely, hugely potent, much, much, you know, 50 to 100 times more potent than heroin, which is already very, very potent. So now what are the resources? How can we seek help? Yeah, so there's a variety. One, we have an awesome, very proactive commissioner of, of health, uh, Dr. Mike Mendoza, who's really worked to make Narcan more available. We have a number of providers that are listed in our opioid brochure, resource brochure, that provide Narcan training. So big message to the community would become trained, have a Narcan kit available, because you never know. If you've got someone in your family or in your circle of friends, large or small, that you question, you know, maybe you would need some... By all means, go get it. The training is 20 to 25 minutes. It's brief, and you'll get an easy-to-use nasal dose, two doses of Narcan. So that's number one. Uh, In terms of access, it's hugely increased with open access, which opened up two years ago and recently moved from University Avenue. They're now at uh, West Main Street uh, in the Bullshead Plaza. So open access is 24-7 assessment, and what they do, it's not a new treatment site. It's purely for assessment and referral. So person comes in, whether themselves, family member brings them in, uh, the police can bring them in, they can be referred from the ED, and they're assessed. What's the best level of care? And once that happens, where is the first available treatment slot? And they have transportation and they can negotiate insurance barriers and help that person get to treatment. And they've got a very good success rate of getting a person into treatment within a very short period of time. So we're looking at a matter of 24 to 48 hours versus before when it was three to four weeks. Which is just two years ago is the before. Exactly, exactly. And that coming live also prompted a number. We're now up to seven treatment providers who additionally have walk-in hours. So open access is 24-7, but if you look at our resource, which is on our website, our treatment provider resource, you can see in red seven different treatment providers that have on different days, different time slots during the week. So basically, again, increasing access to care has really, really uh, gone up. So the Narcan, increased access to care, um, education presentations available, we're doing it through the council. Education is really what we're all about. The number of requests to do this uh, presentation is enormous. All someone has to do is connect with us on our website or give a call. 
Um, also, the Commissioner of Health has been doing presentations. Uh, Deputy Mike Bavado out of Monroe County Sheriff's Department has been doing. So we're all about getting the word out to the community. And then additionally, the two primary recovery centers that are a great resource for folks coming out of treatment, and that's Recovery Fitness and the Core Center, two amazing places where someone coming out of treatment, because it's never enough, the time frame mm-hmm. in treatment is never enough, so you need to go into a sober community where you can be with your peers and be in an environment where you can celebrate your recovery, maintain your recovery, and yeah. still learn, relearn to do activities sober. In a group that understands. Exactly. That's yeah. been there, that has strategies for There's maintenance. no judgment. Yeah. Exactly. There's no, you don't have to feel ashamed or anything because they've been right there with exactly. where you were. Exactly. So that's huge. That's huge. And you guys are a fantastic resource. Your website, which you yeah. pretty much just revamped not we too did. long ago. We did earlier this year. So if you go to ncadd-ra.org, you'll see our our logo or monogram now is there's hope. I mean, this is all about hope and getting resources and help for people, not about sharing death statistics, but where does someone go to get help? That's the biggest thing. And right off the bat on the left-hand side homepage, you'll see resources and directories to treatment providers, to recovery resources, to MAT resources, and that's medication-assisted treatment prescribers. So really the primary things that people will ask us when they call the council. We've tried to put front, center, easy access, and it's mobile access to on your iPhone. Yeah. And I know we talk about it every time, but I don't think we can touch on it enough. Having the conversation with our kids because there's so much, they're getting inundated with so much. Yes. Now they're hearing, you know, jewels. We've done yes. how many interviews on jewels, yes. right? Yes. What is the next thing we should keep our eye out for? you know, our kids getting involved in uh, marijuana, marijuana oh, really? and the connection with jewels. I just did it. I've been doing presentations recently around what is the connection, you know, and there's a strong connection we see in the new YRBS youth risk behavior survey is just in the process of being issued for this last school year. And I know we've seen an increase in e-cig use primarily driven by the jewel market jewel for folks that don't know, uh, is use of e-cigs or vaping, and the it's, it's skyrocketed in terms of youth and young adult use. But there's a strong connection between that and marijuana. One, you don't know what's in your jewel. It could be nicotine, which is already hugely addictive. In one jewel, it's like a pack of cigarettes. Wow. Or, so it's already bad. Or you could take a, a jewel pod and purposely adulterate it with um, THC. So using marijuana in that way, too. And marijuana is confusing because the kids are yes. hearing that states are legalizing it. Yes. So now yes. that kind of downplays the severity. Exactly. Exactly. Perception of risk is huge in terms of use. When perception of risk goes down, use goes up. Yeah. And we know that marijuana has become more uh, potent, more toxic, especially when you get into the dabs. And we could spend another whole yeah. show on this our one. Next, our next interview, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jennifer Farringer from National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence, ncadd-ra.org. Thank you so much. Very welcome. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Sandy.